This is Exchange with Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Siebert, Global Head of Corporate Communication here at the firm. Today, we'll be diving deep into the industrial sector, which includes everything from airlines and autos to paper and packaging. We'll be talking about how the industry has been innovating in the wake of the pandemic, both at the company and the capital markets level. And we'll also spend a little bit of time in the outlook for strategic activity and consolidation in that industry and much, much more. To discuss all that, I'm joined by Matt McClure, who's global co-head of the Global Industrials Group in the Investment Banking Division. Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jake. So the sector, as I said, has been super busy since March in terms of deal activity, particularly in some of the sectors that were most severely impacted by the pandemic. Take us back to some of those early conversations with the big, big clients in March and April. What were the immediate concerns that you and your team were helping them address? And how has the dialogue evolved since the early days? Sure. So when the coronavirus pandemic hit back in March, our clients' immediate focus was on their balance sheets and their potential liquidity needs. And at that point, most, if not all, M&A transactions were put on hold and industrial financing activity accelerated dramatically. All of our clients were impacted by the extreme volatility in the capital markets. And very quickly, the dialogue with the C-suite centered around how strong was their capital and liquidity position? Should they draw on the revolvers? Did they have access to capital if they needed it? What should they do with their dividend payments? And how should they address performance guidance for investors in light of the business uncertainty? The industrial space covers a very broad universe of clients, and the impact of COVID varied dramatically across different sectors that we cover. So, for example, those focused on travel, i.e. the airlines and the cruise industries, were most disproportionately hit and faced unprecedented levels of revenue collapse and stress on their business models. By contrast, other sectors that were, for example, exposed to the construction industry have actually proven to be fairly resilient and fared well during the crisis. So with the onslaught of COVID, our team mobilized their efforts around three areas. One, helping our clients think through their cash flow and liquidity needs to determine what, if any, capital might be required. Two, bringing creative and bespoke financing solutions to our clients to enable them to effectively raise capital. And then thirdly, deploying Goldman Sachs balance sheet. We obviously only have a finite amount of capital to go around. So identifying who was most in need and where the commercial opportunity lay was critical. Um, Interestingly, you asked where the conversation has gone now. With an improving economy, we're now seeing a large proportion of those drawn revolvers being paid down and a number of those initial loans that were put in place being refinanced with more permanent solutions. So you mentioned that the airlines and the cruise lines were really hard hit in the early days and, and still continue to suffer. There's been a ton of innovation, particularly on the financing side, to help address some of those challenges. And we've seen some of the biggest capital markets deals done in those sectors in recent months. Talk about how you and your team have helped clients navigate that and come up with some creative capital solutions. So there's no question that 2020 has just seen an unprecedented amount of financing activity, particularly in those sectors that we talked about. So to quantify that for you, since March, we have institutionally underwritten over $115 billion in capital across 77 financings, and that's just in the transportation sector alone. And what's been extraordinary to me is not just the volume and velocity of those transactions, but the way in which Goldman Sachs has been at the forefront of really leading the innovation across different types of financings. 
So a couple that stand out for me, firstly, the big bank financing for Norwegian cruise lines, which we underwrote at the height of COVID in May, where we raised $2.4 billion across common stock, convertible debt, high yield, and an equity pipe. It was really a first for marketing for individual financing products concurrently and really showcased Goldman's ability to coordinate across multiple product groups and execute truly complex financings. The second I'd highlight for you is the mileage plus frequent flyer financing for United Airlines in June. This was a first of its kind transaction and we introduced an innovative structure to complete a financing backed by a US airline loyalty program. We help United obtain cost-effective financing on $8.6 billion of debt backed by its core air miles asset. At the time, it was the largest ever capital markets offering by an airline. It was just topped this month by $9 billion Delta Sky miles financing that we just completed. So there's no question in my mind that bringing all of Goldman Sachs to the table has really allowed us to differentiate ourselves from the competition. And in particular, the close coordination between investment banking and our principal investing groups in global markets and merchant banking has really provided a blueprint on how one Goldman Sachs can deliver extraordinary results. By way of example, the recent billion-dollar investment by our new West Street Strategic Solutions Credit Fund in American Airlines is another great example of the power of combining a strong IBD client relationship with direct access to our merchant bank investment skills. And this was the largest private placement in the U.S. by any investor in the airline sector today. Let's talk a little bit about the go forward in these businesses. A lot of this financing was just defensive to handle liquidity issues. But are you starting to see some people in some of these sectors think about offense, about consolidation, about strategic acquisitions? Where does the dialogue stand today? So as it pertains to the airline and cruise sectors in particular, I believe there's just so much ongoing uncertainty around the near-term trajectory for those businesses that their focus is probably going to remain on preserving liquidity and optimizing their capital structures, at least in the near term. That said, M&A dialogue in the industrial space more broadly has picked up meaningfully in the last few months. And I believe if the economy continues to improve, we should expect to see more deal activity on the horizon. In particular sectors where businesses have proven to be more resilient during the COVID crisis, we're seeing consolidation activity pick up. We're also seeing a great deal of private equity interest, both on the buy side, given the significant amount of capital they have to deploy and they attract to financing markets, and on the sell side, because they recognize there's a strong strategic bid from corporates that want to continue to grow. So let's talk a little bit about auto and auto tech space, which has been generating a lot of headlines and, and seen some activity. A lot of that's unrelated, frankly, to the pandemic. We see an enormous amount of focus on ESG, particularly given the climate debate. And obviously, corporates and investors are both very focused these days on ESG considerations. The investors have gotten involved. We've seen the SPACs get involved. Give us a rundown on what's happening in that sector and what you expect to see going forward. So there's obviously a tremendous amount of excitement and energy around the electric vehicle space at the moment. And it's a fascinating case study of a traditional industrial sector that's really undergoing a paradigm shift driven by technology. And we've seen two themes playing out concurrently. Substantial capital flowing into auto technology and electric vehicle startups, and then a meaningful EV push from the auto incumbents where 
tremendous amounts of capital are being committed from the traditional OEMs, such as General Motors, Volkswagen, and Ford. Tesla's equity performance and top-line growth have demonstrated that both investor and consumer demand has really proven out for electric vehicles. And as you highlighted, there's a massive ESG tailwind driving that entity. This year, we've also witnessed just an explosion in the level of SPAC interest in early-stage EV companies. So SPACs have offered a unique path to raising capital and going public in a short time frame that's allowed these new entrants in the EV space to materially accelerate their commercialization plans. By way of example, in August, the industrials team worked on the Lordstown Motors transaction with Diamond Peak Holdings, which generated proceeds to allow the company to fund the production of its electric pickup trucks. It doesn't feel to me like activity in either Autotech or SPACs is slowing down anytime soon. However, whether these two trends continue to manifest themselves together at the current pace that we've been seeing remains to be seen. As you look across all these sectors that you cover, including some of the ones we didn't really talk about today, what do you think the two or three biggest macro drivers that are going to influence decision-making amongst the executives at those firms? Obviously, the pace and shape of the economic recovery is really front and foremost of what's going to drive behavior amongst industrial corporates. Uh, Three things that I would highlight that I think executives are focused on coming out the other end of COVID. One, supply chain. So many industrial companies are reevaluating their supply chain networks, their cost structures, and their capital and labor needs with a focus not just on efficiency, but resiliency. They don't want to be caught off guard again where their supply chain is disproportionately disrupted as a result of another pandemic. Automation, as companies face the need to re-onshore manufacturing, there's going to be an increasing emphasis on the digitization of manufacturing, and that's going to accommodate in more automation and more AI adoption. And then thirdly, and this has been a theme for a long time in industrials, but ongoing portfolio rationalization. So on the back of COVID, there's a heightened focus from clients on positioning their portfolios to drive long-term growth, and that's going to mean exiting some of their more cyclical businesses. So Matt, in a typical year, you'd be out seeing clients face-to-face or maybe calling them on the phone. What have you found about this new environment? Do you love Zoom or do you just pick up the phone and call clients or any other innovative ways in keeping in touch with the people you're covering every day? So I'll start on the travel front. This is the longest stretch I think I've gone in a long time without being on an airplane. I'm going to hedge my bets between Zoom and phone. Zoom has just been an awesome communication tool while we and our clients have been working remotely and frankly fits with the theme of the convergence of technology and industrials. But sometimes a simple phone call is the most direct and effective way of really driving the client dialogue. All right. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us today. We'll hope to have you back in saner times and hear how the industry is recovering. All right. Thanks so much, Jake. That concludes this episode of Exchanges Goldman Sachs. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. And tune in later in the week for our weekly markets update, where the leaders around the firm provide a quick take on the latest in markets. This podcast was recorded on Tuesday, September 22nd in the year 2020. Thank you very much for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. 
The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.